Top of the morning, good afternoon, and hello to planet Earth and to all the wonderful human beings on it. Hello and welcome to the Celtic Coach radio show where science and spirituality meet. Now, our next guest, holy guacamole. Um, I don't know what happened that this man decided to come on this show, but he has, and I'm very grateful for it. Now, I could tell you that our next guest, Marshall Goldsmith, is one of the world's leading executive coaches. I could tell you that he's a New York Times bestseller author, but I'm not going to. I could even tell you that he's had a very long-standing career as an executive coach. He's advised more than 200 major CEOs and their teams, but I'm not going to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you how his book, The Earned Life, changed my life. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to do it in two minutes or less. We're going to be talking to Marshall Goldsmith today about his new book, The Earned Life. Um, Lose Regret and Choose Fulfillment. Now, when I read this book, I thought, ah, okay, yeah, it's not bad. And then I decided to go back and read it again because I'm interviewing the man and I like to do some homework beforehand. And I came across this chapter, which I'm going to read to you. And then I'm going to tell you why it impacted me so much. It's chapter seven. I love the title. Slicing the loaf to find your one trick genius. Now, I've already jumped in, Marshall, and I didn't even take a moment to say hello. Welcome to the show. <laughs> That's how excited I am to get into this book with you, Marshall. <laughs> how are you, sir? Life is good. Life is good. Just Life doing good. fine. Beautiful. We're both wearing green, so we won't be pinching any. We won't get pinched today. All right. Let's uh, let's jump in, and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna talk to Marshall, get to know Marshall, and talk about the book. So, slicing the loaf to find your one trick genius. Chapter seven in the book. And he starts off with, perhaps you noticed one glaring omission from my list of dichotomies in chapter five. The omission is intentional. I'm referring to one of the perennial choices we face in adulthood. Is it better to be a generalist or a specialist? Now, when I saw that, I right away knew where I was on that and where I wanted to be. Now, there's no correct answer to this question which takes the pressure off. People can achieve an earned life on either path. Where you land in the generalist versus specialist debate is simply a personal preference, dictated over time by your experience. But at some point, you have to solve this dichotomy, making a commitment to one or the other. The alternative, a loosey-goosey in-between life in which you're neither good at many things nor great at one thing is not pretty. Although I would never judge your choice, I'm not unbiased, however. In fact, I'll warn you up front that, I be, that I'll be resolving this dichotomy in favor of being a specialist, because that is the path I followed in my career. And now I can't see any other alternative. As I say on this issue, I'm biased and unapologetic. You've been warned. When I read that, Marshall, don't ask me what happened, but it kind of struck me like a bad check. I'm like... Dermot, you've always wanted to be a specialist, but you've always been comfortable with being a generalist, a jack of all trades, master of none. Now, I don't judge that. 
Yeah, I don't, that's not a judgment, um, Marshall, because uh, the generalist has gotten to me to where I am today and who I am. Yeah. And I'm pretty happy with that, you know, most of the time. Um, but before we get into the book, welcome. Uh, I'd like to start off with, well, you moved to Nashville because you that's new, right? Yes. Uh, when did you move to Nashville? Tell me. I moved to Nashville about a year and a half ago. My daughter here is uh, Kelly Goldsmith, professor at Vanderbilt, and I got a couple of grandkids here, and the taxes are better here, and I like it. So I live here in Nashville, and any of your listeners have kids, I'm going to impress the kids. Are we ready? Go and for it. One of my neighbors is in the Rascal Flats country group. One of my neighbors is Keith Urban. His wife was just on TV at the Academy Awards. His wife is Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and yeah. that's like what's going to impress the kids. So my neighbor across the street is Taylor Swift. So <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, now you're impressing them. Now, yeah, now. impressing the kids anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. I did a I did a peace walk from LA to Washington, DC about 12 years ago, and I walked through Tennessee. Right. And I have to say. Tennessee is probably the most beautiful state I've ever seen. It is pretty. It is. Pretty. It, it, I mean, the lakes and the rivers and the streams, I mean, just incredible. Now, I, I thought about when I came back, I thought about moving there. But the thing that 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 bugged me was the bugs. Bugs. And it has lots of rain, too. Bugs yeah. and rain. It has more rain than Seattle. Nashville has more rain than Seattle. A lot of people don't know that. But yeah. Yeah. Rains, bugs. I, I lived for 30 years in Rancho Santa Fe, California, just north of San Diego before I moved to Nashville. So I love Nashville, but the weather is not quite the same as San Diego. I, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Ireland and I moved away at about the age of 20. And um, I've been mostly in America since. And we live here in California now and we have beautiful rain that comes in the winter and then goes. Right. I tell you, I don't miss the rain of Ireland because it's right. about... <laughs> 11 months and then there's yeah. one month like june july where if you have the look of the irish you know the sun will will make a a, a, a guest a guest star appearance <laughs> <laughs> terrible terrible where did you grow up uh, marshall i was brought up in a small town called valley station kentucky hmm. uh sort of low income low education environment and my dad had a little two-pump gas station and my mom went to college two years and was a teacher, but my dad had that dumb idea women shouldn't work, so we got to be poor, poor. But, uh, I mean, the first four years in school, we had an outhouse, so I wasn't brought up in Harvard prep here. And uh, But I knew how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide before I went to school because my mother spent her entire life just teaching me things. Isn't that wild? Now, did you have to work at the, did you have to work in the gas pumps? Of course, for years. <laughs> <laughs> my old my old man was was one of these guys that bought and sold cars and uh he uh i remember as a kid you know putting the little pipe down into the tank and sucking out the gas yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He had us do all sorts of angle grinders cutting up old cars at 12 years of age with a big steel angle grinder you know yeah, yeah. my gosh i know that world very well what um Tell us a little bit about, 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 about the childhood. What was that like, Marshall? So we can get to know you. Know, you I, my childhood was very good. I had a very positive self-image. You got to realize yeah. the, the high school I went to came in next to last place in Kentucky in academic achievement. 
And, you know, that means you got your butt kicked in academic achievement by Appalachia. Not real good. <laughs> Not so good there. And so, you know, I knew, again, I knew how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. So the first first day I come home from school, I told my mother, I'm the smartest person I ever lived. I just assumed, I'm like, God, you're smart. <laughs> I was a happy boy. I said, the world, I, there's no competition in this planet. You can't be a success here. You're a loser. So, you know, as a kid, I had a very positive self-image. I had a good time. Yes. So, uh, you know, I mean, I was attitudinally challenged. I'm sure from Ireland, you can't appreciate that. I was, I was, uh, I will say I was the first in my class to be arrested. So that was kind of a, uh, you know, for drunken disorderly conduct yeah. at, at, at 14. Oh, so at 14. Wow. I, yeah. I got off to kind of a, not a, not a stellar start there, yeah. you know, but you know, now, now they just did an interview for distinguished graduates from the county where I live. So I was one of the distinguished graduates. I said, well, I wasn't so distinguished at 14 when I right. I, I led my classes at first to be arrested. <laughs> Isn't it so fascinating? You know, one of the things I got from reading your book, The Earned Life, was um, how, you know, like in my in my teens and in my 20s and 30s, I just didn't value really my time. I really didn't put any kind of a value on what I was doing, when I was right. doing it, how long it took. And, right. and, you know, as you share in the book, as you, at the age you are now, you know, your, 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 the things that you want to do are become more important than the things that, you know, well, I got to do this and I got to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, what inspired the book, Marshall? You know, over the COVID period, uh, my friend Mark Thompson and I spent 600 hours with 60 amazing people, and their names are all in the book. It's not a secret who they are. And they talked about their life every weekend. So every weekend, they would rotate groups. We had, we had six different sections, and they'd rotate around the sections. And every weekend, these 60 amazing people, who included people like Pal Gasol, the basketball star, and Curtis Martin, the football wow. star, the Broadway star, and the President Olympic Committee, and the World Bank, and blah, blah, blah. Great people. And they all talked about their lives. So... It's kind of what inspired me to, to write the book. My entire history was basically coaching people to increase leadership effectiveness, become better leaders, which is all good. Yet when I work with these people, they're already hyper achievers. So I started thinking, you know, I can maybe help them achieve a little bit more, but kind of what's the point? Mm -hmm. I just try to help them have a little better life. So oh, as I've grown old, this book and a lot of my work today is I just tell people, look, I just want you to have a little better life. Like anybody listens to our little podcast today, they have a little better life. It's a good, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not about transforming your world and changing no. all your negative, but it's really about the simple things of just, you know, a little step at a time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I used to be a college professor and dean. What was my goal? Teach people everything. You know who I'm a coach of. I've been the coach of 200 of the most best leaders in the world. What's my goal now? Teach people anything. <laughs> I'm way over. I'm way over everything. Let's all go for something here. Let's say a little something. That's good. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Well, but you do talk about your slice of genius, you know, in chapter seven, which oh, yeah. is one of my favorite chapters. Um, you do talk about having that, you know, general specialist and how you decided at some point to be a specialist and to work with only, you know, leaders who are kind of at the top of their game. What right. what what happened? What was the shift or the thing that happened well, that that you decided, hey, I'm just going to do this now? 
Well, a couple of things. One, I've had great mentors. One of my mentors was Dr. Paul Hersey. And Paul Hersey, he invented situational leadership with Ken Blanchard. That's what he did. And he was a brilliant teacher. And he really taught me the idea of having a brand identity. Then I met Peter Drucker. And he said, look, you, your mission should put on a T-shirt. So I said, you know, my mission is to help successful leaders get even better. And if you do a Google search, helping successful leaders, the first 500 references, 450 are me. Yeah. And the whole world, the rest of the world's 50. It's my brand. So I developed, and people weren't doing it at the time either. The other person who helped me is one of my early coaching clients, Alan Mulally. Alan was head of Boeing Commercial Aircraft at the time. He went on to be the CEO of Ford and probably the greatest corporate CEO in the last generation. Amazing man. The stock went from $1 to 1840, and he had a 97% approval rating from every employee in a union company. Think about that one as a CEO. Think about that, unheard of. So I talked to Alan. I said, Alan, you know, of all the people I coached, I spent the least amount of time coaching you and you improved the most. You're great to start with. Now I said, Alan, I made a chart on one dimension. It's called time spent with an executive coach, Marshall Goldsmith. The other dimension is called improvement. And I said, there's a, a negative correlation between spending time with me and getting better. I said, <laughs> and I said, and you know, Alan, I said, the way this chart looks, had you never met me, you'd really be good. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I asked Alan, what should I learn about coaching from you? He taught me two lessons that changed my life. He said, lesson one, your mission as a coach is work with great people. You work with great people. You win. You work with the wrong people. You lose. And yeah, you work with great people. Your approach will always work. Wrong people never work. He said, never make coaching about yourself, your own ego, and how great you think you are. Make it about the great people you work with and how proud you are of them. Well, if you look at my book, The Year in Life, one thing I'm proud of, look at the endorsements. Yes. Yeah. Quite read a few the, of them in there. And read the first part before the endorsements. Yeah. What does it say? You know what? I uh, Is this um, in my 50-year career? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I will read that because I actually had that on my notes to read. Um, so this is you speaking. In my 50-year career as an executive educator and coach, I have been blessed to work with many of the greatest leaders in America. In theory, I am, I am supposed to teach them. In practice, I have learned far more from them than they have ever learned from me. The leaders, thinkers, and coaches below have been gracious enough to endorse my work and the earned life. To help readers understand their profound accomplishments, I have added my own uh, comments in italics. By sharing what I've learned, I hope this book can help you in the way that these great leaders, thinkers, and coaches have helped me. You know, it, it's really good for coaches to hear that. And I know there's a lot of coaches listening to this right now. Right. Um, because uh, I can say the exact same thing, Marshall. Like I would tell the coaches in school, you're coaching clients, human beings. Right. But you're really coaching yourself. Because yeah. I've noticed that any kind of quirk or thing that I've got going on in my own world that I'm working on. Right. The client comes and says, here, I, I got this. And I'm like, holy moly, I got that problem, too. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Amazing. Well, now, Amazing. now, by the way, this point is very hard to understand. He said, only work with people that care and want to change. Now, let's see if you understand this point. Oh, have I understand heard? it already, Marshall. Well, yeah. now, please, now please. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test you. Right. Have you, ever, have you ever tried to change the behavior of a wife or partner that had no interest in changing before? Every have, day have, of the week. And how's that working out for you? Not very well. <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried to change mommy or daddy who had no interest in changing? Yeah, how, How's that going for you? Never happened. 
<laughs> I was teaching my class at Dartmouth. I said to this woman, she raised her hand. I said, are you trying to change mommy or daddy? She said, daddy. So I asked her, what's daddy's problem? She said, daddy does not have a healthy lifestyle. So I said, how old is daddy? She said, 94. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> Leave the old boy alone. Let him have his sugar. <laughs> you want to smoke a cigarette, old boy? Smoke too. Who yeah. cares? Yeah, I have a friend. Yeah, I have a couple that are good friends, Irishman and his wife, and they're in their 90s. And I crack up laughing every time I go to their house. Right. Because they don't really, I mean, <laughs> I don't want to get gossipy here, but I, I, I'm I'm blown away. Uh, you know, they're, they're not health you know, conscious really at all. Um, but they're two of the fittest people on the planet and two of the most beautiful people on the planet. Um, yeah. And they're... I think they are just on positive attitude. Yeah. They have so much energy from positive attitude. Yeah, I'm here, you know, working out every day, doing my yoga, doing my meditation, eating my vitamins. And I, I, I'd find it hard pressed to stay up with them. Good. Yeah. Very good. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I wanted to go back to something uh, you you said earlier, Marshall, about the pandemic. You know, so you were, you were, I know you in the book say, you know, you're in, a, in like a one bedroom apartment somewhere waiting to go to, Go to, to Nashville. No, um, I was in. I was on the beach in La Jolla, so it wasn't all awful. It wasn't terrible. No. And um, <laughs> how does somebody like yourself, who's a coach, and probably has a different perspective than a lot of people in terms of the world and what's happening, how do you look at the pandemic? Well, you know, it was an intriguing thing. I, um, it actually, I thought it ended up being much worse than it was. So mm -hmm. I was. I thought it could have been a lot worse. A lot of people were desperate back then. And what I did is I did Zoom calls every day with people in my group just to try to help people. And then I did these calls, what they call the LPR group, every week. Because I partly was them, partly was me. It was just felt good to be around people. And so every week we would do Zoom calls and talk about life and what's going on. And then on the pandemic, I, I did it every day with a large group of people where, and we had people call in from all around the world and talk about what was happening. So, you know, I, I think it's good to have a sense of community when times are crazy. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I I'm having that. That is interesting. You say that because, um, after COVID it's still, it's still going on, but, but in the last six months, my partner and I have really been looking at that community right. how do we because i don't know my neighbors they're yeah. wonderful people i see them all the time hello how are you that's it i don't know them right i just found out the other day i started talking to the neighbor and i gave them some veggies from my veggie garden and i said yeah. you know i don't know i don't really know you and i'd like to get to know you yeah that's good and you know she talked a little bit about about her her her, her life her family the kids what they're doing they're all going to school next door and and i thought boy that that to me was the gift in, in the pandemic. Well, was there a gift in there for you, Marshall? Well, the book was one of the gifts. I mean, that's why really? I wrote the wow. book. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, all right. Let's jump in and talk about the book. The Earned Life, Lose Regret and Choose Fulfillment. Um, lose Regret, Choose Fulfillment. Well, what, what, what do you mean by that, Marshall? Let's start there. Well, pretty much what it says, you want to live a life where you look back on your life with a sense of happiness. And I'm glad I did it, not I'm sorry I did it. So I talk a lot 
about both of those. How do you find fulfillment on one end and the other and how do you get rid of regret? So, and I think they're both important. For example, one thing I teach people is an exercise. I'll do this for all your listeners. Ready? Wonderful. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Imagine you're 95 years old. No, take a deep breath. Excuse me. Wrong exercise. Take a deep breath. Every time I take a deep breath, it's a new me. So think new me. New me. Everything that happened before this second in your life was done by an infinite set of people called the previous yous. Think about all the gifts those people gave the you that's listening to me right now. Think about how hard they tried. Think of the good things they did. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. If any group of people did that many nice things, what should you say to those nice people? Thank you. Now, did they make some mistakes? Let it go. Who is the first person we need to learn to forgive in life? Yeah, that's for sure. Let's forgive, let's forgive this person. Let's yeah, forgive yeah. this person. And, you know, that it's a good first step in losing regret is quit carrying it around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quit carrying it around. Whatever we did, we did. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. It's all right. Forgive yourself. And... You know, one of the things I've asked thousands of parents around the world this question, I say one word, finish the sentence. When my kid grows, grows up, I want my kid to be. Number one word by far, no matter what country, happy. So say, fine, you want your kid to be happy? Most people love you to be happy? You go first. You be happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah you be happy. Yeah, I did a, you know, I came to that realization too. I did a walk across America um, and... I talk to people about life yeah, and specifically Mahatma Gandhi's life. Um, but I talk to them about life. And the one thing that I got that, that, that I, every person told me is that they wanted to be peaceful and they wanted to be happy. Yeah. Nobody said, I want to make more money. No. I want to write the greatest novel. I want to be the most successful person on the planet. They all 99% of them said some version of peace and happiness. Now, very important point in the book. I talk about the importance of aligning three things. And I'll go back to what you just said. The first one is our aspirations. We need some higher sense of why am I doing this? Right. I mean, everybody works hard. Okay, why are you working hard? What's the point? What is the higher purpose? Second, you need to have our ambitions, which are related to what we achieve. And again, we want our achievements to be connected to our aspirations. Then finally, our day-to-day -day actions we need to be engaged in and enjoy the process of life itself. And assuming you're healthy and assuming you have a middle-class income and assuming that you've got good relationship with people you love, what matters? Well, I'm doing what's important to me. I'm achieving stuff and I love the process of doing it. You just won the game of life. Right. Now, here's what happens. Some people, historic, or historically, most people have been lost in the action phase. Why? Our ancestors were poor. They didn't have any money. They lived day-to-day -day lives. They were just trying to get through the day. Not bad or good. That's just who they were. And a lot of people today are, are that way. They're kind of addicted to video games or watching PewDiePie or nonsense, right? The iPhone. <laughs> they're, they're lost in that action phase. Yeah. Some people are lost in the aspiration phase. They have lofty goals and dreams. They don't ever do anything, but they got a lot of lofty dreams and goals. Most people I coach and most people listening to us right now don't have either of those problems. The problem they have is they tend to be addicted to achievement. 
achievement. Right. And the great Western myth is I will be happy when. Yeah. Yeah. When I get the money status, BMW, condominium, I will be at peace when I get these things. Well, the great point of the book is there is no win. Yeah. There's it's no not on win. the calendar. It's not on the calendar. There's no win. <laughs> no, there's no win. And, <laughs> and, and no matter what you achieve, the key point of the book is never become addicted to achievement. Why? For two reasons. One, you don't control the outcomes. Never become addicted to outcomes. You don't control it. But two, what happens after you achieve the outcome? How much peace and happiness does that bring? Five minutes, 10 minutes? Yeah. What happens? More, 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 more. The Buddhist term is hungry ghost. You're always eating, but you're never full. Right. So, you know, the key thing I teach people is never become addicted to outcomes. One of the guys in our group was Safi Bakal, brilliant guy. And I said, he said, I learned one thing in this group that changed my life. He said, I finally realized happiness and achievement are independent variables. He said, achievement is good and happiness is good. They're independent variables. You can achieve a lot and be happy. You can achieve a lot and be miserable. You can achieve nothing and be happy, achieve nothing and be miserable. And he said, I, you know, I finally realized that. I said, you know, Safi, I'm glad you realized that. Because he said, I always thought I'd be happy if more, I achieve more, 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 I'll be happy. I said, well, I'm glad you realize that you already have a PhD in physics from Stanford. You've started four businesses. You've made a zillion dollars. You wrote a best-selling book called Loon Shots, and you've consulted the presidents. Now, if that is not enough achievement to make you happy, you really think a little bit, a little bit more is going to get the ball over the line? No. He said, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the great Western myth that I'm going to be happy when I get this stuff. You know why? We've been hammered in our head. The great Western art form sounds like this. You may have heard it before. There is a person. No, the person is sad. Oh, they spend money. Oh, they buy a product. Oh, and they become happy. This is called a commercial. Have you ever seen one of those before? <laughs> a million or one. Over and over. Same yeah. message. The message yeah. is it's out there. Happiness yeah. is out there. Yeah. Happiness is not out there. It's in here. Yeah. I, uh, one of the quotes that I had on my desk for a long time uh, was from Les Brown. And he said, uh, everybody wants, uh, everybody knows that more money will not make you happy, but everyone wants to find out for themselves. <laughs> and so there's a journey to that, right? Because like when I hear that, I go, yeah, no, no, you're right. You're right. But I still want to make more money because I still think that right. money is going to make me. I mean, I, I still think that today more clients, bigger clients, bigger businesses. I still, I'm still caught up in that trap. So I'm how do you get out of the trap, Marshall? That's I'm going to help you right now. How old yeah. are you? 54. I am 74. Now, you can look at me and say, well, easy for you to say, oh man, you're rich. I am rich. Uh, you've sold 3 million books. Yep. Fancy clients, blah, 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 blah. Easy for you to say. Yeah, you got yeah. something I don't have. You know what that's called? 20 years. Now, I can tell you what. You want the damn 3 million books? You give me the 20 years? We got a deal. <laughs> oh, that's good. That is good. <laughs> we got a deal. How about the money? You want some money? A few million bucks? You give me 20 years? Oh, I give you a little money here. <laughs> wow. Oh, See, that's good. Ne never think something's out there. Yeah. Because you know what? You get old. Yeah. Buddha was brought up very rich protected from life. His father thought he'd be happy if he had more. He was able to sneak outside the palace three times. You know what I learned? Trip one, people get old. 
Trip two, you get sick. And trip three, you die. Old, sick, and die. That's kind of in the cards. All the money in the world, old, sick, and die. Poor, old, sick, and die. And that's, that's it, right? He said, this is no good. You can't be happy with more. He tried to be happy with less. Went out in the woods, starved himself, tried to be happy with less. You know what he learned? Didn't work either. Finally realized one thing. Only one place you can ever be happy, here. Only one time you can ever be happy. That would be right now. Yeah. Where is Nirvana? Nirvana is watching a little podcast and some old ball guy talk. That's it. And two ball <laughs> here guys. It here it is. It's not out there someplace. No, no, no. Here it is. It's right now. Yeah, yeah. And 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 there's a journey to that too, isn't there? Because like we could, you know, I can hear you and believe that you believe it, but I hear it and there's still a part of me that still wants, you know, the new motorcycle, the bigger client. Coaching, you know, coaching, coaching for you. Are you ready for coaching now? Give it to me. Who's the number one coach in the world? Oh, that's me. Are you ready? <laughs> Quit doing what you just did. As long as you say that's just the way I am, you're never going to change. Mm. Quit saying that. You yeah, Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I do not have an incurable genetic defect. I do not have an incurable genetic defect. I can change. I can change. See, there you go. You can change. As long as you say, this is just the way I am, you're programming yourself to never change. Now, yeah. if, I don't care if you don't change. If you want to change, though, quit doing that. Yeah. And the I am is so powerful, isn't it? I am this, I am that. Yeah, I am this. Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, let's, uh, you know what? I love that, Marshall, that you, there's, there's a spiritual sprinkling throughout the whole book. It, it, it's, I couldn't say it's a self-help book, although, you know, it has a lot of help in there for the self. But I found this book to be a little more, spiritual in nature you know you 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 definitely i felt that in 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 most of the chapters i have to say but i want to read something that i thought was powerful and i think it'd be helpful for the listeners um uh, you talk about so this is chapter six by the way if you've just tuned in i'm talking to marshall goldsmith we're talking about his new book the earned life lose regret choose fulfillment and in chapter seven opportunity or risk what are you over waiting, waiting uh, as in wait, W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N. Remember Richard, the young taxi driver we met on page one of the, of the introduction, who made a colossal error that he's regretted his whole life. When Richard told me his sad story of not showing up for an arranged first date with a wonderful young woman he'd met a week earlier while driving her from the airport to her parents' home, I thought his choice was inexplicable. But as I've thought about it over the years and discussed it with Richard, I believe I understand why he froze three blocks from his date's door and turned around never to see her again. Talk about regret. Richard's error was not the result of a sudden bout of stage fright or cowardice. Those were the effects, but not the cause of his poor decision. His mistake was a failure to properly wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, the opportunity and risk that the first date was presenting to him. He overweighted, W-E-I-G-H-T-E-D. He overweighted the risk and underweighted the opportunity. Thus, he missed the opportunity. Marshall, will you talk a little bit about this line? He over overweight the risk, underweight the opportunity. Why, why is that important? 
Well, a lot of times in life, we don't go for it. And we don't go for it because we might fail. Well, yeah, we might fail. On the other hand, in many cases, really the cost of failure is not the end of the world anyway. And we're But it stops over, people, though. It, it stops, stops 99% of people. And so we're in that case, we're overweighting this fear of failure and this oh, risk I, I, at yes. the expense of opportunity. He was over. He was afraid people make a fool out of him. All right, let's say they did. Let's say he goes into this rich house and the parents laugh at him and he's a cab driver and he feels humiliated. So what? You know what? He, life goes on. You know, you know, he overweighted that risk. The risk was real, but so what? So what if they do it? It wouldn't. The world wouldn't stop. He should have gone for it. Now I got another case though where I overweighted, I overweighted opportunity at the expense of risk. Twenty-seven years old. I, I'm not an athlete. I'm a terrible surfer. I'm my boogie board, right? And I get macho, right? So you know, stupid men. Come on, do it, do it. Go for the big one. Right? <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, yes. I got lucky a couple of times. So here comes a nine-foot wave. Nine-foot wave is a nasty wave, right? I'm out there like an idiot. I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I get on, got on the nine-foot wave. What happens? Broke my neck. Yeah, it broke my neck. Lucky I can oh. walk, right? You know what? That was overweighting opportunity. What was the opportunity? I had five minutes of fun. What was the risk? <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> Very bad choice. So you see, sometimes we overweight risk. Sometimes we overweight opportunity. The question is, I just try, I can't give you the answer, but most of the time we don't think. The guy really didn't think about it before he bailed out on the date. He didn't think, really, what's this going to cost? He just overweighted risk. I didn't think when I was surfing. I didn't think. He's so, like, oh, macho boy. Yeah, let's just do this. <laughs> Jeepers. Wow. Would, would, it, would overweight, would that be an, another way to say that would be uh, fearful thinking? Yeah. Allowed well, fear to, I mean, to. Too much emphasis on. Right. When, uh, now, I also talk about in the book aspiration. Then I talk about our ambitions. And then I talk about our actions. And I also talk about overweighting there. Historically, if you look at our aspirations, aspirations, this is why am I doing this? The big picture of life. Ambition or achievement, what am I achieving and should be connected? And our actions are day-to-day -day activities. Do we love what we're doing? To the degree these three are aligned, you win the game of life. Right. Well, some people historically have overweighted actions. We've overweighted, our ancestors had no money. They were poor and they just lived day-to-day -day lives, not because they're good or bad people. That was it. It was all about now. Historically, that was our ancestors. Some people overweight this aspiration. They're lost in their heads, idealistic dreamers. They don't get anything done. The people on this listening to us now don't have either problem. They overweight ambition and achievement. They're addicted to achievement. The people I coach, biggest problem, addicted to achievement. Yeah. They yeah. overweight achievement. Back to what you said about happiness and peace. They believe achievement is going to bring them happiness and peace. Albert Berla, one of the guys that endorsed the book, right, from Pfizer. A couple of years ago, Albert, how's it going? Oh, came up with that cure for COVID. Oh, good, good, Albert, really good. Stock's at all-time high, employee engagement, blah, blah, blah. What's your challenge? He said two words next year. Jeez. His value in life is he has to beat that. He'll never do it. Michael Phelps, yes, yes. Michael Phelps, 25 gold medals. What do you think about doing after number 25? 
kill himself. Yes. Yes. One achievement. My friend Curtis Martin has worked with many ex-athletes, pro football, pro basketball, disaster stories over and over and over. Why? (laughs) They're not going to achieve as much as they did before. That's their value as a human. Don't get, don't get into that trap. What if you're in it already, Marsha? What advice would you give for people who most of us are in that? No, uh, 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 I'm breathing, breathing. Now you're going to breathe here. Oh, I yeah. just did that thing again, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> I'm in it. Yeah, yeah. Repeat after me. I used to be in that. I used to be in that. I, <laughs> that's great. I just caught that. I just caught that. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. well, the first way you get out of it is quit, tell, quit telling the world you're in it. Yes, yes. Quit telling the world you're, yeah. So um, back to getting ooh. out of it, really, the key thing is you need to say always, why am I doing this? Yeah. You're doing, I'm sure you work, all people work all the time. Why? What is the deeper purpose, number one? And number two, am I enjoying the process of life? Yeah. You know, very important to enjoy the process of life. I One chapter I love in the book, it's part about the marshmallows. I just love that. The marshmallow chapter. There's yeah. this famous research at Stanford. They take this guy and gives a kid one marshmallow. Say, so you eat one, yeah. you get one. But oh, kid, if you wait. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, accordingly, longitudinal research, kids that eat one all go up losers. Kids that eat two are all fantastic, right? So the point of the story is delayed gratification is good. What they did not do in the research is take the kid that had two, say, wait a minute, kid. Wait. Why stop at two? Wait more. Three. Oh, four, yeah. five, ten, a hundred, a thousand. And where does the story end? An old man sitting in a room surrounded by thousands of uneaten marshmallows waiting to die. Wow. Sometimes you got to eat That's the damn marshmallow. <laughs> Sometimes you got to eat the marshmallow. marshmallow. <laughs> Here's, you know, the problem. Here's the problem with delayed gratification. If all we do in life is delayed gratification... You know what you get a lot of in life? You got a lot of delay there. Yeah. Not much gratification. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm watching this show on television um, where these two guys, they drive around America. Yeah. And they stop at anybody, anybody's house that they see with junk outside. Yeah, yeah. They stop and they go in and they buy and they sell junk. They buy it for 200 bucks and then they sell it for $300. And so they drive around the whole America. It's quite an interesting show. And what I got from the show was just what you said. They'll stop at someone's house and they'll go to the property. And all of a sudden, this person who's in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, they're still collecting stuff, junk. And they have, this is no exaggeration, 5, 10, 15 buildings of stuff and they open up the door and you can't even get into the building because there's so much stuff and there's no stopping and that's what you're talking about marshall where there's no end to the stuff yeah it doesn't stop doesn't stop which blows me away because like there's there was some people in the thing that you could tell they were poor right you know but they would build shed after shed after garage of stuff. And then the guy would offer him, hey, they, you know, they'd pick up something. They'd say, hey, I'm going to give you $300 for that. No, I can't, I can't sell that. 
I'm really attached to that. It's like, it's a pen. No, no. And so they would go to like all the different buildings, wouldn't sell them a thing. <laughs> now that may seem extreme, but I don't think it's ext as extreme in terms of how all of us, except me, I used to be one of those. <laughs> all the other people that I'm talking about, you know, the stuff, how or how how the addiction to stuff. Um, in the introduction of your book, I love this. It was the introduction exercise of the book. You talked about attaching your effort to a purpose instead of a material reward, which is kind of what we're talking about here. Will you talk right. a little bit more? Why would a why would an earned life be be be? Why would you be better off attaching uh, uh, your efforts in life right. to a purpose instead of um, a material reward? What what have you found out about that, Marshall? I'm going to give you the extreme example of achievement. Mm -hmm. now, I went to UCLA. We got a PhD. How many kids apply to UCLA for the freshman class this year? 165,000. Wow. Good luck. I just taught a class at the Indian School of Business or the Indian Institute of Technology. 10 times as hard to get in. The hardest school to get in the world. Getting in there, you're like one out of thousands get in. My buddy's a billionaire. He asked me to teach the class. I think, well, these are a bunch of techie kids. I don't want to listen to some old man babbling about behavioral stuff, right? Nobody will show up. The place is packed. Yeah. Then I'm thinking, well, then you're going to sit there and think, why am I wasting my time with this old nonsense, right? I look up. I'm talking about the importance of meaning in life and enjoying the process of life and don't get addicted to achievement. Ten kids break down and start crying. Wow. They weren't just cheering. They were bawling. Ten. Yeah, they got hit. They got hit with the truth their whole life, they had no childhood. Yeah. That was their whole life. Yeah. Achievement. And they were told, if you ever get into IIT, you made it. You've made it. You know what they found out? They got into IIT. This used to be their life. You know what happened after they got in? What happened to the level of competition after they got in? It's worse. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's very important to think about life and to think about why am I doing this, number one. And number two, am I really, do I really love the process of doing it? Do I love doing it? Now, I've, I've got a good example from my own life I'm very proud of. Are you ready? We're ready. Bring it on. My new Love project, stories. My new project. What's it called? Marshall Butt. Marshall. B-O-T. Marshall Butt. Marshall Butt. I'm now making my own video bot. I've got a wonderful company investing millions of bucks in it, and I'm going to give everything away. So MarshallBot's going to learn everything I know. You're going to be able to go online. You may think it's me, but it's really not me. It's a video that looks just like me talking. Mm -hmm. You can ask it questions, have a dialogue. I am now training MarshallBot. Now, to me, I love this for three reasons. One, my higher purpose is to give everything away anyway. Marshall Bot's all free for everybody. My purpose is to help as many people as I can while I'm here and I'm not here. Well, Marshall Bot can hang around while I'm not here. And I'm teaching Marshall Bot to give us everything I know to people. And I, number one, it's in a really, to me, an important achievement, reach a lot of people, and I love it. I'm having fun. So to me, that's optimal. Why, why are you giving it away for free, Marshall? 
what am I going to do with the money? <laughs> I'm not going to get another house. Right. I'm not going to get another car. Right. And by the way, too much money. What do you do to your kids? You, 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 know, you don't help them by giving them money. I can tell you. Yeah. Andrew That's Carnegie true. came to that same realization. He spent his whole life, you know, the other half of his life just giving his money away. Yeah. Wow. Why not? Well, how, how do people look at let's let's you know let me be the um the voice of the of the listener here in, in terms of looking at a purpose versus material reward what are some questions that people could ask themselves i mean i know you go into it with the with the the life yeah, well, plan review but what are some well, questions that people could ask questions. everybody listening to this call probably works hard why they're all ambitious achievement oriented people they wouldn't be listening to this yeah including the presenter <laughs> yeah we're all yeah oh, no i used to be uh of that club <laughs> i like that that's my new thing now it's wonderful well so what happens is all i'm saying is just ask a couple of questions question one why am i working so hard yeah now now i want to say something about that because people listening might think uh yeah that's such a simple question when i ask a client why are you doing that yeah i get this good question they don't know they've well, never they've been working on this project or working on this career or working on this identity why? for years and years and years and when i say why they they don't know so i, I i'm with you on that sorry marshall i just want to throw that in there i didn't mean to interrupt and, and the second <laughs> one is you know am i achieving something which probably yes and then do am i enjoying myself yeah because if you're not enjoying the process you're going to be dead anyway. You just lived the whole life filled with stuff you didn't enjoy doing. Well, what's the second prize? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's no good. So just ask yourself the questions. Now, I'm going to give everybody a question to ask themselves every day. Ready? One question. One to 10 scale every day. Did I do my best to be happy today? Did I do my best to be happy today? Every day. One to 10 scale. Just ask yourself the question every day. Did I do my best to be happy? Didn't even say you were happy. Did you even try to be happy? By the right. way, in my book, Triggers, three medical doctors I, I did this with, all three had the same answer independently. Jim Kim, sim I talked to him today. Jim Kim, simultaneous MD and PhD with honors from Harvard in anthropology, president of Dartmouth, president of World Bank after that. John Noseworthy, CEO of the Mayo Clinic, Raj Shaw, head of the United States Agency for International Development at 37, and now he's head of the Rockefeller Foundation. Smart. All medical doctors. On average day, how do you score? And did I do my best to be happy? They all had the same answer. You know what it was? Never dawned on me to try to be happy. Never thought about it. And I said, they're all medical doctors. I said, you went to medical school. Did it dawn on you? You're going to die? Did they cover that one in medical school, that dead thing? You know, yeah, they brought that up, right? <laughs> I, said, I said, you think this is silly? I said, you think this is a silly question? He said, no, I just forgot to ask. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. ready? I'm going to test you. One to 10. 10 is high, one is low. Did I do my best to be happy on the average day? What score would you give yourself? Well, today I put myself high. Uh, uh, average day, average day. Oh, average day, average day. Middle of the road, Marshall, I'm five. Five. The average yeah. score in the world is 5.5. 5. Yeah. Remember, remember when you were in school, you got a five out of 10. Would you be proud of that score? Marshall, if I got a two out of 10 in school, I would be ecstatic. Because <laughs> I didn't but, do very well in school. <laughs> well, my point is, I just gave you a test that you float. Yeah. 
Now, are you ready for coaching for you? Yeah, go for it. Raise the score. Yeah. You control the, the you control the grade. Yeah. It didn't even say, well, you're happy today. Did you even try? Just wake up and say, you know what? I'm going to be, whatever happens is going to happen anyway. Right? There's always going to be something that can make me miserable every day if I wanted to. I'm going to choose to be happy today. Yeah. And, and that, that question for me feels more doable. Did I try to be happy today as opposed to, you know. Uh, was I happy? Did, you know, yeah, was I happy? See, if or, I asked you, you know, the did question, I knock it out of the park, you know. If I ask the question, was I happy? You go back to the environment. No, it was too hot. It was too cold. It rained. Someone was mean to me, whatever. I wasn't happy because of that. Yes. Yeah. If I ask you the question, did I do my best to be happy? Right. You look in a mirror. The pointer's back to me, which is the only place to look, right? It's kind of like the big joke. The last place we looked was inside. Yeah. My daughter Kelly taught me that. She said, teach people to ask active questions that begin with the phrase, did I do my best to? No. Why? They quit blaming the rest of the world, start looking in the mirror. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Um, you, you dedicated the book to Dr. R. Roosevelt Thomas. Right. Well, what, what impact did he have on you? He, he was the world's expert in diversity many years ago. And uh, he... Um, came up with a concept called referent group, which ended up maybe influencing right now more than half my life. Wow. Our, our referent group is who we identify with and want to become like. And I, I went to a program called Design the Life You Love, a very similar exercise. One said, who are your heroes? My heroes are kind and generous people are nice teachers. Peter Drucker, Warren Bennis, all these people, you know, Paul Hersey. And then my clients who are really my teachers, Alan Mulally, Francis Hesselbein. And she said, you should be more like them. I decided to adopt 15 people, teach them all I know for free. And the only price is when they got old, they had to do the same thing. Oh, so wow. I made a little video and put on LinkedIn. I'm thinking maybe 100 people would apply and I'll adopt 15. I was wrong in this case. So far, over 18,000 people have applied to be adopted. Wow. And I've adopted 340 people. And the idea is just give things to people. You ask me, why am I giving things away? Hey, I called Buddha up. I said, Buddha, I use all your material all the time. Do I owe you any money? Any commissions there, Buddha? You know, I said, <laughs> go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, hey, Buddha's not charging me any money, is he? No. Yeah. Peter Drucker never charged me money. And all these people helped me. They never charged me any money. Well, yeah. you ask me why I give things away in honor of them. The, uh, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Yeah. 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 Wow. How did you, I want to, I want to ask, you know, just for all the coaches listening out there, because I'll get kicked in the butt if I don't. Um, in terms of business building, you're, you're one of the most successful coaches on the planet, Marshall. Um, right. Could you give us the short answer to how did you become that? Like if coaches listening that really want to, you know, become successful coaches, what does right. that mean and how did you become that? Well, the first thing is you got to work. So I have these three young guys come to my house who are about 30 years old and the kid says to me, well, when I finish my PhD, I'm going to be you. I said, well, that's fascinating. You're going to be me. I don't know if you look around. I happen to live in a mansion. And at the 
the time, I've written 35 books and traveled 10 million frequent flyer miles. So you're going to be me. You better get off your ass and get started. Yeah. <laughs> you better get to work, son. <laughs> you got to work, number one. Now, number two, have a brand. Build a brand. I have a brand. Helping successful leaders get even better. That's a brand. Mm-hmm. I control the brand. I'm it. Do a Google search. Helping successful leaders is me. 90% of everything you read, me. Why? I built a brand. I have a clear identity. And I want to teach the coaches something that's really good for coaches. Are you ready? And it's yeah. good for a lot of the listeners. It's called, one of the chapters called Credibility Must Be Earned Twice. Credibility must, part of credibility is being competent. And most of the coaches I meet are very competent. That's not their problem. The second part of credibility is being recognized for being competent. Totally different thing. Yes. Yeah. Now, I've sold 3 million books. How many books on Amazon out of the 33 million titles do you have to sell in one year to be in the top half of all books? And the answer to that question is two. Half of them sold zero to one copy. It doesn't mean they're bad books. Maybe they're great books. I've got to look. I got a degree in math. Some of those books are better than anything I ever did. Statistically, they have to be. Nobody bought them. Nobody read them. The author had no credibility. They had competence without credibility. Well, the coaches need coaches tend to be very bad at marketing and very bad at building credibility. My book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, is largely a book about me coaching CEOs and their problems. And they tend to oversell, be right all the time, prove themselves too much, add too much value. Overselling. I've coached a lot of coaches. 80% of coaches have the opposite problem. Yes, Underselling. Yes. Yeah. They don't promote themselves enough. But yes, yes. I do a whole class on how many people know you're a coach? Not many. Right. They undersell. Yeah. Now, are you ready? I'm going to help you with all the undersellers. You can use this in the future. When they say, I'm an under, ask them, if you have to pick, oversell, undersell. Do you try to prove yourself too much or not prove yourself enough? Peter Drucker said, we're here on earth to make a positive difference, right? Not to prove we're right. Are you trying to prove yourself too much or not enough? Well, that one book is too much. My book with Sally Helgson, How Women Rise, the opposite. It's mostly about people don't try to prove themselves enough. Okay, for all you underselling coaches, are you ready? They're ready. Here's the coaching for you. Question one. Would the world be better off or worse off if you became more powerful and influential? Generally, you know what they say? Better off. Does trying to become more powerful and influential make you feel uncomfortable? You know what they tend to say? Yes, very uncomfortable. I don't like it. Yeah. Here's the punchline, question three. What is more important to you, making the world a better place or being comfortable? That's the money question right there, Marshall. If you want to be comfortable, don't change. Yeah. You want to make the world a better place, get over it. And by the way, it's pretty easy to brag about how much humility you have when it's actually a lack of courage. Yeah. You think you being more powerful and influential is going to make the world better? Guess what? Try to be more powerful and influential. But don't sit there and glorify how humble you are. And you don't, you don't want to promote. Oh, how about this one? My good work should speak for itself. Did you ever hear that before? Yes. <laughs> nonsense that's so silly God, <laughs> god's gonna fly out of the sky and pat you on the head because of your yes good yes not really that's not real 
That's not the real world. If that were true, no company would need a marketing function. By the way, how did I sell 3 million books? I peddle books. Yeah. I work hard to sell books. I'm talking to you. I'm selling books. My buddy, Hubert Jolie, he was CEO of Best Buy. He retires. He writes a book. I said, look, man, you're a book peddler now. If you're too proud to go out there and sell books, don't even bother to write it. If you're writing a book, you want somebody to read the th stupid book. You yeah. get out there and sell. And I'm so proud of him. He busted his butt selling books, right? He was a book salesman. Most CEOs are too proud to do that. They write a book no one buys. Yeah. But your why behind peddling the books, Marshall, is greater than just peddling books. Making the world a better place. Right. Right. So that's why, you know, your your why is a lot. You know, you say peddling books with kind of a, a grin, but the why behind that is really what, what sells the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall, we have about five minutes left in our in our chat. Um what advice would you give? Well, actually, two questions. The earned life, who is it for? Uh, this book, I think, is for everybody. It's for basically everybody. about helping people have a better life. I'd say you need to be about 12 years old to be able to read it. Uh, anything, by the way, if you read anything I've written that appears to be complex, please accept my apologies. That certainly wasn't intended. Mm -hmm. I try to write things that a normal human can read. I try to use normal language and not use fancy words and 2,700 references about, oh, Kentucky is a state according to blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I just basically try to make this as simple and practical and useful as possible. So I think anyone over 12 would be fine. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, and so and it's just designed to help you have a little better life. So, yeah. and then where can you get the book? Well, you can get it at amazon.com or just call online. You can get the book anytime. Very yeah, easy yeah. to get books today. So that's very good, very simple. And it's available all around the world. Yeah. Um, you've given the coaches advice. What advice would you give to the listeners in terms of, of, of the okay, earned ready life, for, having for, a better life? For all listeners, are we ready? They're now, ready. You're now going to get the best advice you're going to get in this or any other lifetime. Are you ready? They are. Take a deep breath. Imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. It's all over. Here comes the last breath. Right before you take that breath, you're given a beautiful gift. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person who's listening to me right now. The ability to help this person be a better coach, a better professional. Much more important, the ability to help this person have a better life. What I... What suggestions would that 95-year-old you, what advice would that old person facing death, who knows what mattered and what didn't, what advice would that wise old person have for the you is listening to me right now? Whatever you're thinking now, do that. In terms of a performance appraisal, that's the only one that matters. That old person says you did the right thing. Guess what? You did the right thing. That old person says you made a mistake. You made a mistake. You don't have to impress anybody, but that old person. Some friends of mine interviewed old folks who were dying, got to ask the question, what advice would you have? On the personal side, three themes. Theme number one, three words. Be happy now. Not next week, not next month, not next year, not when I get this, when I get this, when I achieve that. When I We, we all got the same win. We all have exactly the same win. That old man looking at death is when. Learning point from old people, be happy now. Number two, friends and family. Never get so busy climbing the corporate.
upper ladder, you forget the people who love you. Always a mistake. And number three, if you have a dream, go for it. Go for that higher aspiration. Because you know why? You don't go for it when you're 45. You may not when you're 85. And business advice isn't much different. Number one, life is short. Have fun. You don't like what you're doing. Can't leave now. Start looking. Get out as soon as you can. Life is too short to do what you don't like. Number two, do whatever you can do to help people. And that's a blessing all the coaches have because they try to help people. Yeah. The main reason to help people is nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. The main reason to help people is much deeper. The 95-year-old you will be proud of you because you did and disappointed if you don't. And fine advice also the same. Go for it. World's changing. Industry's changing. Do what you think is right. May not win. At least you tried. Old people, we almost never regret the risk we take and fail. We always regret the risk we fail to take. Yeah. And finally, as I've grown older, kind of my mission has kind of got gone down and down and down, but my impact's gone up and up and up. Why? I quit worrying about what I'm not going to change. Let me give you my mission on this fine call, and thank you for inviting me. I hope some of the people listening have a little better life. That's it. If some of the people listening to us have a little better life, this is an incredibly good use of my time. Yeah. And, and and at the end of the day, that's what most of us want, Marshall, is just a better life. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for, for just... Well, thank you for being you, Marshall. I really appreciated your time, attention, questions today, the challenging. I loved it all. Uh, to all the listeners, you've been listening to the Kelty Coach Radio Show. We've been talking to Marshall Goldsmith, the earned life, lose regret, choose fulfillment. An absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful book. I really enjoyed it. I read it twice. I'm going to actually go back and now I'm going to review it because there's just, there's a lot. There's a lot in this book for everyone. So uh, with that, You've been listening to the Celtic Coach Radio Show. Think big, have fun, stay curious, and we'll see you all soon. All the best. Cheers.